The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. What's up, Bengals fans? Happy Wednesday to you. I am Anthony Cazenza. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast coming at you at a little bit of a different time. We're going to start switching things up going forward on Wednesdays, going at you probably a little earlier going forward here, starting at about 7.30 Eastern or so. We said 7 p.m. Eastern tonight, John Sheeran. Uh, We were late. I apologize. But it was for good reason this time, not just us lollygagging. We won't spoil why. But let's just say that later this week, people will understand why we were late for the live recording on Wednesday night. How are you, bud? Happy early Halloween. Yeah, man. I mean, usually at this time, I'm doing some show prep. So regardless if we started at 7 or not, it feels early to me. So this this is a good schedule we're on now. Yeah. And uh, hey, we'll get darker earlier in a little bit here. We got Halloween coming up when we got to just kind of keep up and and make sure that uh, we get uh, all of you tuning in and chiming in on what we're doing here. Again, if you're new, thanks for joining us. You can always join us live. Wednesday nights are a standard. We always go live early in the week as well um, with with headlines. And then we also do some stuff at the end of the week with opposition previews. NFL news notes, that sort of thing, as well as listener questions live. And then we do a post-game recap on this show, the Orange and Black Insider, which is part of the Cincy Jungle podcast channel, along with talking football with Bengal Jim and friends. And of course, Coach Speak and Chalk Talk with Matt Minnick. All of those are on the audio side. There are respective YouTube channels. Ours can be subscribe to underneath John there by that Cincy Jungle icon at the bottoms of the screen there. Click that and then click the bell to be notified when we go live, when new content is available. We also have memberships now. We'll be getting out some exclusive content on the YouTube side for those members. We have super chats that we are still going to be donating to the Pollock Family Foundation. You can also go to givesendgo.com slash Pollock Family Foundation. If you want to do a direct donation there, you can go to the Pollock Family Foundation, their website, and do a direct donation. They've got some cool giveaways, Traegers, David Pollock signed helmets, all kinds of stuff. We're going to have some giveaways once we start uh, closing up that that support uh, that we're showing that charity, but they've got a lot of cool things going and we want to support them. That is a mouthful to intro this show. Later this week, we've got Trey Wingo, that uh, former ESPN personality now with Caesar Sportsbook going to be talking a ton of NFL stuff, and we're stoked on that. But, John, for the second week in a row, buddy, we get to talk about a Bengals win. And it was inconsistent to start this season. The Bengals are now starting to kind of pick things up the past couple of weeks. By far their most uh, – even even as compared to the one against the Jets, their most dominant performance so far – uh, this year and it was it felt like for the first time almost this entire season maybe the second half of New Orleans game but first time this season it felt like the Bengals and their offensive playmakers were having fun it was like going out and playing football in the backyard like kids again almost it seemed like yeah it started last week I think just Having that game in New Orleans, I think, kind of kick-started that confidence that, hey, like we're still this good. We're, we're still this team. Like There's no reason why we can't do this to anyone who lines up against us. 
Man, it feels like the Bengals should play the Falcons more often. It's unfortunate that they can only play them every four years, but the last two times that the Bengals have played the Falcons, they've scored, I think, touchdowns or at least any types of points on their first four drives. And the first two drives, I think, were as perfect as you could possibly get it without scoring on the first play. Like, they didn't run into a single third down. Maybe they ran into one third down on those first uh, two drives. And then the next couple of drives, you saw a little bit, shades of last year's Bengals where they took some first down sacks the fact that they had two first down sacks in one drive and still scored a touchdown a Jamar Chase touchdown nonetheless it 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 boggles the mind that like that doesn't happen like Ben Solak of the ringer he posted a graphic of like the average amount of drives that stall like on during a drive where there was a first down sack it's like like you, you you don't score points after that the Bengals ran into that a ton last year the fact that they were over they were able to overcome that twice in a single drive was just telling of how this game was going to go. So you saw shades of this new Bengals team where they're being more consistent and efficient on first and second down where they're not having to rely on their third down efficiency. And then the next couple of drives, you saw shades of last year's Bengals where they relied more on explosive plays to get them out of jams. And all of a sudden they scored 28 points in like the first, what, 20 or so minutes of the game. And it just seemed like it was over from then, even though the defense kind of gave us a little bit of a scare there towards the end of of the first half. But this is the second half Bengals defense we're talking about. It was like everything was coming together. It, it you know, that basically the, the entire second quarter, I mean, as, aside from the Bengals one touchdown drive where they again started to kind of push things further out of reach, but that second quarter by the Atlanta Falcons was pretty impressive. And that was, that was this, um, if, if you want to kind of use a boxing metaphor, that was kind of a, a, sequence of events like a boxer who had been knocked around and was just on the on the ropes and almost seemed that was flailing wildly right they had that they'd had that methodical drive where they got into the end zone running the football I think they only threw the ball like two or three times on that entire drive it was a 16 play drive uh so they went all the way down and did what they do um then they had another long ball touchdown which was it has kind of been their forte in a, a little bit because they are up there in terms of yards per catch uh, as a team, but really when you think of Marcus Mariota and their rushing attack, you don't really think of 75 yard touchdown bombs on the reg. Um, so that w- was kind of like, Whoa. And then it took a special teams play by them to get another set of points right before half. So it was just kind of like, that was their best shot to get back into the, the game. And it, they really did a, a, you know, prove gave a valiant effort in the second quarter, but uh, just wasn't enough. Joe Burrow and the gang clicking. Here's the thing again that that I hate to be the the bucket of cold water guy, John, but Atlanta's going into this week. Atlanta has surprised a lot of folks at three and three, right? A lot of people thought, "Wow, you know, this is going to be a, a three win team maybe all year," and here they are at the first part of the season, three and three. Still, um, you could tell there's a lot of talent deficiencies, be it because of just where their roster is and or injuries. There were some, uh, you know, AJ Terrell went down in this game, which was a, a big loss for them. Uh, I, I guess the I love that the Bengals did what they needed to do in terms of beating an opponent handily at home. But again, when we're talking about the inconsistencies with the Bengals this season, we're seeing some positives. What's your take on the team with what you saw Sunday? in terms of who they play, you know, the quality of opponent and it, have we righted the ship here or is this just a product, a little bit of a byproduct of who they played in your estimation? I mean, it's, it's almost a coincidence that Burrow had the second most yards in his career. The only game that he had more was against the Ravens last year. Like early in this game, like this is the Ravens game 2.0. It started with that throw to Tyler Boyd where he had like a perfect platform, yeah. there was no pressure on him. It reminded me exactly of the long Tyler Boyd touchdown that he had last year. Now it wasn't the same route. It wasn't the same distance in terms of like how far the ball traveled down the field, but there were just so many throws like that where Burrow, which has had ample time in the pocket and, and the Falcons even pressured or tried to pressure Burrow in similar ways that the Ravens back in the Wink Martindale days did. They had a lot of creepers. They disguised some of their blitzes, but they just couldn't get home. And whenever they were trying to get home, Burrow would always find the hot read there and get the ball out. So he was sacked a couple of times, but it never really seemed like the Bengals offensive line was rattled. And that just led to guys just getting open down the field because like you said, Falcons defense is just nothing to write home about. And then they were down their best cornerback in AJ Terrell for most of the game. So they had 
basically nobody's at in the secondary, much like the Ravens had nobody's in the secondary last year during that that giant route at home. So obviously the strength of schedule, the competition factor here kind of played into it. And that also really hurt the Falcons on offense too, because, you know, entering this game, they had an efficient run game and Mariota was playing decent ball, but you still could see that the deficiencies overall in their passing game. And then they only dropped back, I think what 13, 14, 15 times in this game, despite being Mm -hmm. down by multiple scores. And you're thinking, you know, what is this mismanagement? Like how, how is there just zero urgency to get back into this game? It's because the Falcons, like, they just they just can't do that. Their offense isn't suited for that, despite having guys like Drake Ludden and Kyle Pitts. Like, their offense line in terms of pass protection, it just doesn't hold up. And Marcus Mariota, for as you know decent as he is nowadays in his career, he's just not the guy that can get you back in a game where you're down by multiple scores. And honestly, thinking back, like, Arthur Smith is their head coach. He comes from the Titans offense. You know, he helped Ryan Tannehill ascend to the quarterback that he is yep. now, or at least that he was a couple years ago. But even then, like as efficient as he was, he relied on a great running game and a great play action game yep. with Derrick Henry and he couldn't get teams back in the game. So it's almost like the Falcons, the Falcons are this interesting variation of those Titan teams that were always decent, but could never really do enough. And as soon as the Bengals just kind of pounced on them, there was no amount of efficient running game that the Falcons could do to catch back up. Carbon copy almost of those two teams in terms of design. And, and, you know, you want to be physical, you got an athletic quarterback that can do a lot of different things with his legs and whatnot, whether it's Tannehill or Mariota. And then, you know, you, you, what you, the, the design is either keep the game close or get yourself a lead and cruise at the end and, and out physical your way to, to get a win. And when things start not going your way, you start falling behind. It's tough for them to get back into the game. And that's kind of what we saw this week here. So, yeah, I mean, I I guess, you know, one of the things that uh, I I liked from this game was that a lot of, you know, the Bengals didn't have DJ reader again, didn't have Logan Wilson predictably this week. They did have all their wide receivers in and, and things of that nature, but I mean, they were missing a couple of key players you know, what I liked was, was the fact that Zachary Carter had a really nice game uh, doing some things against the run. Jay Tufele had his third tackle for loss in two games. He's so um, good, dude. And He's so he, good. He, he really is. He really is. And uh, who who was it that was talking about Jay Tufele who was when that? he was coming out? I, I can't remember. I don't know any USC uh, fans. And so. then, of course, and then, of course, Joseph Osai. Osai season. We've been waiting for it, waiting for it, waiting for it. He had an amazing spin move to get to the quarterback at the, in the second half there for a big sack when Trey Hendrickson went out of the lineup with a stinger. So I really liked, especially on the defensive side of the ball and the defensive line, you had Cam Taylor Britt also stepping in the lineup there too, but I really liked along the defensive line, you know, we talked about no Tupo, no reader, no Logan Wilson, three guys key to stopping the run uh, with this defense. And Oh, by the way, here comes these three, three guys here. And two of them are stopping the run really well. And another guy comes in relief of your star edge defender as a rotational pass rush guy and gets a sack. Yeah, it still it still feels like the I don't want to call them big, but like the notable runs the Bengals are giving up are still kind of towards the perimeter. So it's not like they're, you know, dying to get DJ Reader back just because of how well both Carter and Tufele have stepped up. But obviously Reader can make an impact there. Can we talk about Taylor Britt? Because this whole this whole afternoon with him was was so interesting to me. Because I, I do the the inactives post for, for for Cincy Jungle, and I see that Taylor Britt is active for the first time. I'm like, all right, that's a, that's an easy headline to have. He makes his rookie debut. He's probably just going to play special teams, though. Like he's the sixth cornerback. He's only practiced for a couple of weeks. There's no way that he's going to see actual playing time on, on the defense. And then he's in there in like the second drive for the defense, and Eli Apple is not. And he's he gets flagged for I think illegal contact. They put Eli Apple back into the game when they're in the red zone. Apple gives up this, I think the second longest passing or just touchdown the Bengals have given up in four years at the very end of the second half. And then Taylor Britt plays most of the the remainder of the game. I think he outsnapped Apple 28 to 16. This, this made like no sense to me because a month prior to this, you had Lou and Arumo talking to reporters about why Dax Hill isn't being rotated into the secondary despite his great preseasoning. And he stood up there with, conviction as to why like you can't just rotate these guys in the secondary in and out you establish chemistry communication and the moment that you start bringing in new guys here just for the sake of giving them snaps that whole process goes out the window and now you have a, a rookie cornerback playing for a veteran that they have trust in play out playing him out snapping him in this game and going in and out of the lineup 
it, it was it completely boggled my mind. And I'm, I'm thinking either Anarumo is contradicting himself, or this is because they don't like what they see out of Eli Apple. And it seems like from what they've said in the past couple of days that there just is this change in philosophy f- philosophy where Taylor Britt didn't get those snaps in the preseason, and this is a way to get him acclimated, kind of get, get his feet wet. And maybe they were doing that because they knew the Falcons weren't going to pass the ball that much. But anything, it was so interesting to me how Andy Rumo just w- did this complete 180 from a philosophical standpoint. And it does make me wonder how much of Eli Apple's play has something to do with it. Well, th- this occurred after the, I think he was responsible on the coverage the, to the long ball, right? I mean, that's... Well, he came in earlier before that, though. Yeah, so you kind of saw him ushered in. I, I guess that's when it was really kind of noticed at that point, heavily noticed that... Uh, you know, the big play was given up by Apple, and then you saw you saw Taylor Britt come in here. Maybe it was because of myriad of factors, like you said. Maybe it was because, number one, they just wanted to get him snaps. Number two, maybe there's a little bit, you know, we know with Eli Apple, he has a tendency to play. When we think he's not going to play well, he seems to play some of his best football that we've seen. And when we think, hey, he's turning a corner here, then there's that one game where he just struggles um, and so the Bengals just maybe need something that's just a little bit more consistent there. I don't know. And they're just looking to ease this. I mean, that's the long-term plan with Taylor Britt anyway. He's kind of the long-term guy. So they want to see what's what's there. But also, the Bengals had a really comfortable lead in this game. And so maybe they just felt like, hey, we have a little bit more. If this is going to be a game of rookie lumps for Cam Taylor Britt, maybe we have – a little bit more of a cushion than we normally do in order for him. If there is, you know, a major issue or, you know, he gives up a score or what have you, they, they have a tendency to potentially rebound. Maybe that's a little bit where the mindset is there, but I agree with you that it, it is a little bit of a talking out of both sides of your mouth a little bit for Lou Anarumo uh, in terms of how we approach this. And it does make sense why this week was the week to do that. And I don't, I don't whether or not they expected to be up multiple scores to give their defense that kind of cushion to, bring that rookie in like like whether or not that's true like it, it makes sense why this matchup like w- was the week to do it I, I just think back to in the offseason when Taylor Britt was drafted the conversation outside of the building was he's going to compete for snaps with Eli Apple he's going to compete for that job throughout the offseason and that just wasn't the case like even when we talked to him in July like during OTAs like he wasn't taking reps with the starters he was just just being a fourth string or, or the fourth cornerback reserve guy in, in the secondary. And then in training camp, like he was even demoted um, uh, for Alan George, who was not drafted free, rookie free agent. And he was taking reps with like the ones or the twos and Taylor Britt was taking reps with the threes. And then he gets injured in the preseason. So that whole battle was never even a thing to begin with. And then it was completely you know blown dead as soon as he was injured. So this competition, it never existed inside the building. There was never this, I guess, pressure for Apple to step up or he loses his job to the second round pick. But now we're seven weeks into the season. Taylor Britt's going to continue being integrated within the defense and splitting reps with, again, a starting cornerback, which is not what forget Anaruma what he said it's not normal to see anywhere in the NFL it's so hard to rotate guys in and out of the secondary for the reasons that Anaruma specified so I'm just really interested to see how this develops and whether or not he does actually end up being the starter before the season ends so much has transpired over 2021 and in this you know short part on almost halfway through not really a third of the way through the season this year so much has transpired with Bengals football and it's so easy to forget. Does anybody remember why Eli Apple is a starting cornerback for the Cincinnati yeah. Bengals? <laughs> it's because Trey Reigns was hurt. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, I mean, he, it's not like this was the, the original design for the Cincinnati Bengals. It worked out pretty well for the most part, given what they had to deal with last year. And Eli Apple stepped in and played the best football of his pro career. But people seem to forget that this this whole now now different story this year. I mean, they signed him and then they also drafted Taylor Britt and they kind of said, well, Apple's going to be the guy. Taylor Britt's going to be probably the long term answer there. But the whole point is with Apple that this was never the original design. He was supposed to be CB3, CB4, probably CB4 if you count Hilton as CB3. Um, I mean, so that's that was kind of the, the original design there. And now he's been thrust into this starting role and kind of earned it this year, so to speak, based on what he did last year. And I think a lot of people kind of that was so far into the memory banks that I think a lot of people kind of forget that aspect of it. Yeah. And I think for 
as little bad things that to say about Apple because they've never really outed him. They've never like called him out in any pressers. Like they project confidence with him because I feel like they they do have a sense of of comfortability with him. But I do agree. Like the plan was. I mean, he signed as like a one-year prove-it guy to be a backup behind Trey Waynes and Awuzier, and then all of a sudden he just asserts himself as a starter because Waynes can't stay healthy, and then he just played well enough to kind of hold on to that job. And even the contract that he signed this year, it shouldn't have been locked in stone like you're a starter, but they kind of did treat it like that. And regardless of what they feel about Taylor Britt, like they never really made that a competition in the offseason. So I... You know, one, one thing's for one thing's for certain though. Like everyone seems to support this. Like this seems to be the way that it should go because they they can't expect Apple to play w- with consistency at all, or expect to keep whatever his level of play for the past two years up for the remainder of however long he's with the Bengals. So to give Taylor Britt those reps now is very critical, especially going into next year where you have question marks at cornerback. Wizier is entering his last year under contract with the Bengals. Apple will be a free agent and you don't want Taylor Britt to go into 2023 completely being redshirted as a rookie. You want him to get some snaps now. So I think everyone does support this. It is, it is still though surprising to me. So consistency is a big word with this uh, with this Bengals team because we haven't seen too much of it, particularly at the beginning of the year. They're now winners of two straight. Um, but again, John, when we talk about consistency, when we talk about viability of this team, and we talk about uh, you know kind of long term success of of what they're doing and put with the product they're putting on the field. Are you now starting to believe as each passing week goes, and they got two wins in a row under their belt there? Are you now starting to believe that this is now a team, you know, as opposed to when we were talking about it, maybe against the Miami Dolphins or after the Jets game, et cetera? Are you still are, are you starting to say, hey, you know, this is now looking more towards looking more like the 2021 team that we saw, especially towards the back half when they were beating kind of the better teams in the league here? Or are, are there still questions in your mind? Because I, I hate to keep harping on this, but we're talking about teams with losing records. A lot of teams they beat were with backup quarterbacks. Um, you know, I mean, that's that's kind of the reality. I know you can only play who you can play and who's in front of you and who's on your schedule. But, uh, you know, as we as we get going down the line here, you're going to have the Titans, the Chiefs, the Bills, the Ravens. Uh, you're going to have these teams on the schedules, and, and you're going to need to beat most, maybe even all, of these high-quality teams. And these are diff- those are different animals than uh, this Falcons team the Saints team with Andy Dalton, et cetera. Yeah, I, I think there's a difference between identifying this team as one of the best in the NFL and also at the same time, like they haven't solved all their issues yet and it's still a work in progress. I, I do think it's interesting how this time last year after week seven, they had a big win against the Ravens. They were five and two. I went on the SB Nation NFL show to proclaim them as you know true contenders. And then they just crapped the bed for the next two weeks against the Browns yeah. and the Jets, right? It was like the, everything kind of came crashing down just when we thought that they figured it out. But last year, they were still dealing with you know major issues at the offensive line. They were still dealing with consistency issues on offense. Their defense was solid, but then the defense was one of the biggest problems during their, during their losing stretches last year. So... Now this year, I, I do believe that the offense has established that needed consistency, that they made that jump that they needed to make, but it, it's going to be a continuation of an evolutionary process. Right now, they're full-blown shotgun in just everything that they do offensively. Defenses are now going to make adjustments based off of the adjustments that the offense made. They just have to keep you know, keeping up with the Joneses, like you always say. They always have to keep evolving, keep being one step ahead of what defenses are going to do. And it's good that they've showed that they're able to adapt to what defenses are now keen in on them, but they have to continue to keep doing that. That's what the best teams in the NFL do. So I'm not going to sit here and say that they've solved every issue and that they're going to win most, you know, almost all their games from here on out. I think there's, there's, there will still be definitely challenges and there will definitely be weeks where they don't look as dominant as they should be. But I think when you look at this team compared to last year, there is a higher sense of consistency and stability just with their overall offensive success. And I think that will allow them to be in those games that maybe they lose last year. Before we move on to the next segment, good sir, you're talking about fixing issues, improving. What's your assessment of the offensive line at this point? Um, You had, you, I, I think we know that the sacks have lessened the last 
handful of weeks when they think when they've been playing better football in general um they're scoring starting to score more points you know three of the last four games they've they've scored quite a bit of points in each one of those contests um you know what's your assessment i mean they've they've basically have cracked or sniffed 30 points a game it, it seems in their last uh, the last three wins so I don't know, man. What, offensive line. What are you seeing? What do you? What do you? You do the daily li- or the weekly lineman rather on Cincy Jungle. What do you? What are you kind of seeing in terms of progress there potentially? Yeah, I, I don't think a single offensive lineman has played bad in the past two weeks, and that's obviously been important in just them scoring thirty and then thirty-five points, regardless of the quality of the defense. Like they've still faced good pass rushers in Cam Jordan, Grady Jarrett got some wins against mm-hmm. both Cordell Volson and Alex Kappa, Kappa I think, right? Yeah, yeah but, the, you know, they kept him in check for most of the game, which, you know, he was the biggest threat of, of that defensive line. Like, they just played really well as a unit, and you're starting to see them communicate better. You're starting to see them, you know, pass off stunts and pick up, you know, different blitzes and whatnot. There were some times when there were some free rushers in there, but that's, that's going to happen, and Joe Burrow's a really good quarterback at, you know, negating those blitzes and getting the ball out quickly. But the offensive line is doing anything but limiting them right now, and that's been the biggest thing. It's the it's arguably the biggest difference between this team and last year's team, and that was the vision going forward. So I, I think, regardless of any you know threatening defensive lines that they face going forward, like you can have confidence in this unit being at the very least average, even up against the likes of the Miles Garrett's of the world and the other great pass rushers that they're soon to face. My God, man, Cincinnati is going crazy. Well, I know, I know, I know why, because as mentioned in our live chat, Randall's got a shirt, a jacket that's on fire behind you there. Oh yeah. Uh, Shout out to homage for the little little care package that they sent me. You can get that at homage.com. Uh, and yeah. a starter jacket for retro version. Get them, get them as sponsors on the show, John. Yeah, Come on, not? let's go. Yeah. Let's go. Come Homage, on, hit us up. Hit us up. Let's, <laughs> let's get Anthony one too. I mean, hell, it belongs to Randall now. I still need one. Well, so. he's he's in he's in Fuego over there. That's why you keep hearing all the fire trucks going by. <laughs> uh, you know, you know. I just before we move on, the 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 kind of it's a weird gauge for me. I mean, it's not necessary necessarily statistics or pff scores or what have you in terms of offensive line improvement performance and whatnot my barometer of it is on a snap to snap basis these last two three weeks joe burrow his you can you can see the confidence level in the in the comfort level as he drops back as opposed to where everything was in the beginning of the season and just you could tell on a snap to snap basis he was not anywhere near as comfortable or anywhere near as confident in terms of things holding up and or what the what the play design was based on the the blockers in front of him etc so it just seems as if i mean he's always a confident guy we know that but uh it just seems as if body language footwork etc showing that he is much more comfortable these past few weeks because he also feels that this offensive line potentially is beginning to gel and or the schemes that they have adjusted to. He realizes that that is much more conducive to offensive success than what they were doing earlier in the year. Yeah. And I think, you know, we've become so accustomed to seeing Burrow evade pressure and make plays on the run and make plays out of the pocket that it's, it's a refreshing sight to see him just manage clean pockets and, and be, that you know traditional pocket passer quarterback and you know he's pretty damn accurate when he's in those positions i think he's enjoying it and i think well you're right there's the sense of trust and reliability in what he has in front of him and it's just made the offense so much better and that was again that was the goal that was the reason why they completely overhauled this unit obviously you know you would have liked for the acclimation period to be a little bit less than five weeks but you know it wasn't (laughs) fully put together up until late August. So maybe that was just kind of an, an inevitability when you factor in all those injuries. But Burroughs definitely benefited from it. Yep. Well, Bengals improved to four and three. They are in a tie in a way atop the AFC North with the Baltimore Ravens. Baltimore Ravens have the tiebreaker because of the victory a couple weeks ago against the Bengals, but they are still right atop the AFC North and they have a big one coming up here. They need to start collecting these division wins and they need to do so with the Browns. What are they lost four in a row? I think Uh, right now they're, they're at two and five, I think. So um, they, the Bengals need to take advantage of this, 
game for sure and and get a win a road win a tough win we'll preview more of that john and i will towards the end of the show talking about keys to victory and matchups etc and also we have a standalone episode later this week dropping with a very special guest talking helping us preview the browns and talking about the nfl landscape etc this gentleman right here trey wingo of caesar sportsbook he is going to be joining us this week talking about a lot of different things so we are stoked to be having him on we had a, a, a brief well i mean it was a brief brief it was probably two, you know 15 minutes sit down out by the nfl draft out in vegas so that was a lot of fun and now he's going to give us a lot more time and a lot more insight john this this is going to be fun one of the more knowledgeable nfl personalities i think in the game still like i remember a few years ago he was on the dan lebertard show and they had him on as like a guest caller just to name who he thought was the 15th best quarterback in the nfl and he said rain dakota prescott and they kind of like you know jabbed at him for of course knowing like dak's actual name and his middle name and whatnot but <laughs> it's just one of those things where like only trey wingo would know something like that yeah and, I'll, and i'm curious if he knows joe burrow's middle name do you know joe burrow's middle name Anthony is it Lee it is Lee yeah yeah Joseph yeah. Lee Burrow yeah yeah uh so looking forward to that that's going to be a ton of fun he brings the knowledge brings the energy and one of the one of the iconic sports casters in the industry stoked 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 on that another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where Bank of America can help for your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, let's get to, I don't even know if this is really truly a state your case, but it'll be a little bit of a back and forth on that and a, a little bit of a fun discussion because of some things happening around the NFL. John, the powerhouses of the NFL and the major, major quarterbacks who have been just the staples of NFL success, Hall of Famers, etc. They are not playing well right now. We're talking Russell Wilson, who is having the worst year of his career. Talking Tom Brady, whose off-field stuff might be distracting him a bit and or him going and doing a lot of different extracurricular activities taking in the season and during training camp, maybe, I don't know, producing some of some of the issues that we're seeing here with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And then you've got the cantankerous Aaron Rodgers, who uh, is kind of gaslighting some of his teammates, coaches, as he normally does publicly and he also was a guy, I, I think, if I remember correctly, he wasn't really at a ton of the, the early offseason stuff as well with, you know, a cast of a new cast of wide receivers, et cetera. So um, you've, you almost have a little bit of the changing of the guard, so to speak. And I want to know if you agree with that, too. I mean, I think we know Mahomes is since he's a little bit on the older side and more starts than a guy like Burrow. But you've got Mahomes, you've got Allen, now you've got Joe, Joe Burrow, and, you know, Lamar's in that discussion. Um, you know, he's he's kind of had some ups and downs, especially this year with some late-game stuff. Um, and then, of course, Justin Herbert's in that discussion, but Justin Herbert hasn't even made the postseason at all yet as a, as a starter. So, um, you know, that's another discussion there, though. But we keep saying, hey, you know, I, I think all of us – as each week passes, we go, ah, Aaron Rodgers, he'll get it right. Tom Brady, he'll get it right. Russ will get it right. And each week passes, and they are not getting it right. 
And so now, you, and on the flip side, the Bengals started off that way and have started to kind of get it right these last couple of weeks here. I don't know. It just had me thinking a little bit of, is there a little bit of a baton being passed officially because these guys are struggling and are at the ends of their great careers to this next group of young guns at quarterbacks and their teams? Yeah, I think like what's going on with Russell Wilson is so, so bizarre just because like in, in the beginning of the season, when he went back to Seattle and people were booing him and Richard Sherman and his teammates were just adding him on Twitter or throwing shade at him on Twitter. And like, this is crazy. Like this guy brought them a Super Bowl and he's being just clowned like this. And over the the ensuing seven weeks, we've come to realize why that has been the case and what Russell Wilson's true colors actually are and how maybe limited he, he has always kind of been at quarterback and maybe how Seattle kind of maximized what he was. And then he was paired with this doofus of a head coach and Hackett in Denver, who doesn't know the, the play <laughs> clock off the top of his head. So that's just been crazy to watch. And then in green Bay, you have, I mean, I don't want to say that was predictable, but like it seemed fairly obvious how a team whose best receiver is, is who Alan Lazard. If he's even still in green Bay, I don't even know. Uh, if question he's... mark. Still a question mark. Yeah. yeah. Alan Lazard question like, mark. Like R- Romeo Dubes. Like he's the, he's the next best receiver. Who? Like yeah. Christian Watson, like no, no. Of course, that wasn't gonna lead to Aaron Rodgers being like a good quarterback. And then Tom Brady, man, <laughs> like, it's just like the fact that he seemed to have pondered retirement and then officially didn't retire just to spite the reports of him being retired. Always had just weird vibes with it. I will never personally count out Tom Brady up until he's officially you know, pen to paper retired. And I don't think he's playing necessarily as bad as the perception is, but there's a lot of unique situations going on in the NFL right now. And it just seems like the bills and the chiefs more than anyone are just playing a completely different brand of football. It's like it's them, them two, the Eagles who I think are a legit six and no. And it seems like there's this giant tier of everyone else. I think someone made a tier list on, on Twitter and that the middle tier was, can compete with anyone, but can also lose to anyone. And it featured like 20 or so teams. I think that's more or less accurate with what we have going on in the NFL right now. And then people have made the claims that you can only have two or three elite quarterbacks in the NFL at a given moment. And certainly Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady, who have been, you know, customary on in that elite tier, they're not, they're nowhere near it right now. So yeah, I, I do feel like it is somewhat of a passing of the guard, but it's also just a reestablishment of maybe things that we already knew. Like I think most people had, Mahomes and Allen as you know, quarterbacks one or two, right. whatever order that you wanted going into this season. And then Joe Burrow's been doing enough to keep himself in that conversation. And unfortunately with Herbert, you know, bad ribs and a bad offensive coordinator is not a good combination for you know the, the talent that he is. But it definitely seems like there's a lot of these individual variables that are just really taking a toll on these quarterbacks. But also, eventually time does catch up. And, you know, Aaron Rodgers may play for a couple more years because he's on a contract for five years and he's set to make, you know, another $200 million. But I don't know, man, it doesn't doesn't look great. It doesn't look great for these guys. And these guys have been playing the worst football of their career, so to speak. I do, you know, you see these these signs of things. I mean, uh, you see here... Uh, Tim Court says Brady's offensive line is bad. Yeah, I mean, I think he misses a guy like Alex Kappen. Isn't Ryan Jensen hurt as well? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, you know, you, you have that element there. You have him yelling at his offensive line a couple of weeks ago against Pittsburgh. That was kind of like, whoa, um, when when he's in and out of practice, you know, uh, not, not just because of getting rest, but just not even there. Uh, you know, that's kind of a questionable thing. But, you know, you look at last week, I think it was what against Carolina um, where he threw a dime to, to Mike Evans of all people, Mike Evans just drops it right down the seam of the field for that would have been a walk-in touchdown. And you go, what, what what's going on with this team here? So I could look like a total dope here in about two to three weeks. And all of a sudden Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady and Russell Wilson do their thing and turn things around by eat. And I can look like a dope by asking this kind of question here. But I, I think, it's worth noting. And again, I think it also to the point of what you said, not only a couple of weeks ago about the three and third, maybe last week about all the three and three teams, right. All the, all the information that we shared on that, but also what you referenced about this tiered list on Twitter that had 
you know, it can beat anybody, but can also lose to anybody. And I think for the most part, you are seeing that with almost every single team with the exception of two, maybe three uh, right now that have the really high records that the Super Bowl champs of last year that beat the Bengals, aren't they? Uh, four, they're three and three right yeah. now, right? Uh, coming off a bye. So it's not like they're lighting the world on fire either. And so it just seems like not only is it a a potential metaphorical, you know, passing of passing of the torch from those guys to the the Burrows, the Herberts, the you know, Mahomes, etc. It, it also seems as if even with the Bengals' record being what it is and the struggles early this year and the mishmash of a ton of kind of teams that have mediocre records, this seems to still be another year wherein the Bengals can strike and and make a move even if their record is similar and not necessarily wildly improved off of last year they still may be able to do some things and get into the postseason and make some noise once again because teams like this that were projected to be right up there towards the top are not yeah and i think everyone knew that the afc was going to be the better conference and that's certainly proved to be true but even still like you have the AFC West with with only one team who appears to be serious. Like I don't think the Chargers are going to be able to overcome their injury issues. It doesn't seem like Herbert's going to be 100% for the remainder of the year. The Raiders aren't as good as we thought they were, even though they may not be as bad as we think they currently are. The Broncos are just a joke. The AFC East, like the Dolphins, might have some catching up to do. The Jets are 5-2 and two in the conversation, but the, but the Bengals beat them, and they probably would have continued to beat them had Zach Wilson played because they are winning despite Zach Wilson starting a quarterback for them. So it's just the Bills in the East. I don't think the Bengals will, will lose to any team in the AFC South right now. So... Even with the AFC being the better conference, the conference as a whole is is below the expectations that were set, you know, in the preseason in the, in, in their own division. Like the Ravens are, you know, not as good as maybe a four and three team should be. The Browns are playing a lost season right now. The, so are the Steelers. So the Bengals are in the driver's seat, not only in, in their own division, but compared to most of the AFC in a, a conference where people expected this to be you know, 10 playoff contenders at, at bare minimum if everyone played to their level, it's looking like, you know, they have a really good shot of not only winning, winning the division but being that three seed. But then it comes down to they still have the Chiefs and the Bills to contend with. Like, even with the most of the AFC being down compared to expectations, the Chiefs and Bills have been able to stay ahead of the curve while every other offense is still kind of finding themselves just because they have those two quarterbacks now you're entering the situation where last year they they avoided traveling to buffalo but they still had to go to kansas city and they won a game where they held mahomes without a touchdown in the second half can they do that again well they probably have to travel to both venues to get back to the super bowl so even with the afc kind of doing them favors they still have a really tall task ahead of them i i joked this offseason that man i'm glad the Bengals don't play the afc west this year based on the outlook of everything that those teams have done and loaded up with and now i'm going can you can can we play them? Can the, can the Bengals play them? And you mentioned Russell Wilson and the Seahawks, John. And I, I know we don't keep a close eye on the NFC West here, but in a division that features the super the defending Super Bowl champs, the Rams, in a division that has the San Francisco 49ers, a darling of many, many people, and the Arizona Cardinals that are highly talented but wildly inconsistent do you know who the nfc west current division leader is right now my boy geno smith they wrote him off but he didn't write back (laughs) four and three so we can say what we want about pete carroll and it looked like they were just going to fire sale the thing and try and get a, a quarterback towards the top of the draft this year that may end up being the case i don't know how sustainable things are for them right now but they are four and three and ahead of all of those teams in the division right now despite trading away Russell Wilson and kind of just stockpiling draft picks. Uh, and, and Pete Carroll's got him at four and three atop of that division. So kudos to them. I want nothing more. And now I, I wouldn't mind the Eagles going far because I've always been kind of a, the Eagles have always kind of been my NFC team because they had some Bearcat ties, but I would love nothing more than a Seahawks giants NFC championship game. I want like a, a, the 2017 playoffs where they had Blake Bortles and Case Keenum and um, another back quarterback <laughs> all in the AFC championship or all in the championship round with Brady. Like I want a, a redo of that in the NFC. I want Geno Smith versus Daniel Jones in the NFC, NFC championship. Oh. I want one of those guys to go to the Super Bowl. 
Oh man, Geno Smith versus Daniel Jones. Good lord. Uh I don't I don't know that I can if these eyeballs would be able to take that, but we'll see. Kudos to both those teams, though. They're winning games, and a lot of people thought they would be dumpster fires, and they are not. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. You can get this show and all of the shows on the Cincy Jungle Podcast channel through your favorite audio streamer, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, all of the major ones. This show, Talking Football with Bengal Jim and Friends, and Coach Speak and Chalk Talk with Matt Minnick are all part of the channel and findable there. And, of course, if you like the, the video side of things, you can go give a thumbs up and a like the Cincy Jungle Facebook page where you can see the live streams of all of those shows. And, of course, if you like what we do on our show, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel below John there by the SB Nation logo. You can click that to subscribe and, of course, click the bell to be notified when we go live, when new content is available. And we appreciate all of the support. So, uh Nothing like kicking off some Bengals-Browns talk with this from Romero Sotelo. Watson comes back. No, he's not back yet. And I do not look forward to the rematch of this game, regardless of how this one ends up, where we have to talk about Deshaun Watson playing football. But no, he is not back for this one. It is still going to be Jacoby Brissett. Nick Chubb, though, John, remains a major force, and he is a Bengal killer and has been in his time since being with Cleveland. But this, to me reeks of must win there's an element there's an argument to be had that says no you know the Bengals still with with the weakness of the division the ravens being up and down they still could could drop this one and finish 500 in the division and uh you know when you know end up being division champs etc i to me this i just feel like you gotta have this one for just not only to kind of continue to distance yourself but you gotta start compiling those divisional wins i don't know if you agree or disagree in terms of the urgency of this one for the cincinnati Bengals. oh excuse me well the browns are not so secretly like one of the five worst teams in terms of record like they are just not a good football team right now and it's very indicative of who they have at quarterback unfortunately for them like jacoby Brissett was brought in to be one of the very best backups in the nfl and he's just not been any way shape or form good for them during these these past four games when they've lost four in a row. And yes, I think some of it has to do with coaching and there's some, some questionable decisions being made late in the game. And there's some just questionable, you know, lack of plays being made at the, at the end of these games for them. But like it's been the driving force as to why they haven't been playing well. And when you look at just who they have to play for the rest of the season, like they have the Titans, they have the bills, they have the chiefs among other quality teams. If you drop a game, another divisional game, to a team that's going to finish below 500, like it's going to be looked at as a complete missed opportunity. And, and, you, and it's not the same way where it's week one and the offensive line has never played together and Joe Burrow is still down 15 pounds from emergency appendectomy and he's still coming back. It's You don't have all those baked-in excuses as to why you can drop a stinker against a team that knows you very well. Like You're playing the best football that you've, you've played in a long time. You have a, a team on the ropes who should, should maybe doesn't have a lot of motivation right now. Like I don't think things are going great in that locker room and you know, they're playing it what in what seems to be a lost season. Like it's the time to just strike while the iron's hot and just to keep them down while they are down. So I, I agree. Like there's going to be that sense of urgency. Like we need to get this one in our back pocket. So when it comes to the end of the year, they're not a game or two games back from the bills and chiefs in that race and thinking, man, we should have had that one when we were playing good. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, I just kind of feel like, man, this is uh, just a game that you can't really afford to drop if you're the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, some some news, I, I, if you would update us here, the Bengals had some news in terms of some injuries in terms, you know, with Trey Hendrickson, DJ Reader, Logan Wilson, etc. Zach, Zach Taylor gave an update this week on uh, everything there, and I will find the article to pin that in, in, with and copy it in the live chats there. But uh, if you could recap where we're at with everything, John, I think that's another good spot to start here. So from my understanding, um, Logan Wilson is trending, is still trending in the right direction. So he was on the rehab field last week doing agility drills, but he wasn't quite ready to practice yet. Now they have an extra day off or they had an extra day off this week and they won't start practicing until Thursday. We're, We're recording this on Wednesday, so they haven't practiced yet there's a chance that he does practice practice this week and makes his return. So that's key. Trey Hendrickson 
looked like he suffered something scary on Sunday against the Falcons, but it was just a stinger. Um, they've dealt with those injuries in the past. They've managed it pretty well. So he should be able to go. Like We'll see if he does end up practicing in any capacity this week. DJ Reader is not yet ready to come back. This would have been the first week that he would have been eligible to come off of injured reserve. He has been making progress on the rehab field, but I think that that um, game after the bye week is probably a good target point for him to come back just to give him all the time that he needs. And again, like we talked about with their defensive line, they're not necessarily dying for him to come back, but obviously you want to have one of your best players back there. Other than that, I think they seem pretty healthy. Josh Tupo is still going to be out for a couple weeks, but more time for J2 Fele. Yeah, J2 Fele. We'll see what happens with Logan Wilson. Um, he's optimistic. You know, see the update from ESPN's Ben Baby here. Here's the article. I'll pin this in the live chat for everybody here too on Cincy Jungle to get um, get up to speed on it, but this was put out, I believe, yesterday, um, maybe two days ago. Uh, but said he's optimistic about uh, Logan Wilson potentially playing this week against uh, Cleveland. It sounds like Hendrickson's doing okay, like you said, and uh, we'll see. Um, DJ Reader, your thoughts on uh, it? Sounds like he may be coming off IR. Not yet, not yet. Uh, maybe like in a couple weeks or so. Well, yeah, you see here, Bagels did. Not expect to be back from IR this week. Um, so that's kind of a, a little bit of a, a bummer as well. But like we said early in the show, some other people have been stepping up to um, on the defensive line. Uh, and you're seeing some nice growth from rookies and second-year guys stepping up to do that. So that's a little bit on the injury front here. Um, let's – I mean, wh- what what do the Bengals need to do to stop – Nick Chubb, because we're talking about these guys potentially being out, Reader, Wilson, etc. Nick Chubb has career days against the Cincinnati Bengals, and granted, that is usually with Baker Mayfield uh, having career days as well with the Bengals inexplicably. But, uh, I mean, is this kind of a similar formula, much like the last couple of weeks, wherein quarterback limitations, you just got to stop the run and or, or limit it and – that's that's going to get you a win as long as you don't stumble over your own two feet like they did in week one. Yeah, I mean, you're exactly right. Like, yes, Nick Chubb and just the running game in general has always given the Bengals fits ever since Stefanski took over and they revamped that offensive line. But it helps when your quarterback is playing well, too, and playing well within that system and playing the best that he could possibly play. Like, that's been, in my opinion, the biggest factor with it like the, the Bengals didn't play necessarily a bad game I want to say the first no the second game that they played the Browns in 2020 it was one of Burroughs in the offense's best performances that year and they lost in the last second on a game-winning touchdown pass from Baker Mayfield to Donovan Peoples-Jones then you had last year where they started well in that opening drive the Bengals did and then they threw a pick six at the goal line and they they gave the Browns that early lead and they allowed them to stick to their game script. The key for this game is just going to be like, like you said, just with last week, get a fast start on offense, make sure that the Browns are being forced to drop back plenty more times than they want to with Jacoby Brissett. Brissett in these past four games is PFF's third worst quarterback under pressure, a passing grade of 27.3 and a turnover worthy throw percentage of 11.5. Only one other quarterback in Zach Wilson has thrown more turnover worthy throws compared to his overall dropbacks. And I don't think the Browns are necessarily passing the ball more than they should. Like if you look at their, you know, pass frequency over ex- over expected, they're still negative 7%, which means they're running the ball 7% more than they should be in certain down to go situations. The only time that they're passing more than they're expected to is in second and one situations. Like they're I think it, that perception exists because you know, they're not always playing with leads. And when you're not, when you're playing from behind, you're expected to pass more and they're still running the ball at a decent clip compared to what the game script actually is because they know that they can't win if they're dropping Jacoby Brissett back 50 times. But that's the best formula to beat Nick Chubb is to have Jacoby Brissett drop back 50 times. No matter what the Bengals can do schematically, there's just little to do with stopping Nick Chubb when you're going just Jimmy's versus Joe's. Like their offensive line is still good and Nick Chubb, for my money, is the best running back in the NFL. I've never seen him have a bad run. I've, I've I've seen runs where he doesn't gain a lot of yards, but he never looks bad doing it. He's always in a position athletically, mentally, to gain as much as much yards as possible. And when you're playing without a lead, it becomes harder for the Browns to do that. 
Ah, Nick Chubb and the Bengals. Uh, I just, man, he's just been a thorn in their side for years and years and years. And it's, uh, it's got to change. I mean, the Bengals have not had success against the Cleveland Browns in the Zach Taylor era, which is ironic because it was one of the major things that kind of kept Marvin Lewis around for so many years with the Bengals because he was so successful against the Browns. And we know how much this rivalry and this battle of Ohio means to Mike Brown and his family. Um, and, and you see just the dichotomy of, you know, Lewis had some decent success against his old team. The Ravens was awful against the Steelers and was really good against the Browns. Uh, Taylor's been a mixed bag uh, with those other two, uh, a little bit better against the Steelers. And then of course has had some issues with the Browns. So, you know, it's just kind of weird how that has played out between those two coaches here. But, um, you know, I, where, where, where do you see the Bengals having struggles on the offensive line this week, if at all? And do you think that this continued kind of ascension, even if it's a gradual ascension that we've seen, um, do you think that continues despite going up against some talented players on their on their defensive line? Yeah, I think. The Browns don't really do anything special with their pass rushers. Like they just rush four because they have confidence in their edges. Like Miles Garrett can beat any left tackle in the game, regardless if you're playing as well as Jonah Williams is. And I think he's playing pretty well as of late. Like he will have losses to Miles Garrett. That's just something, no matter who is that left tackle for the Bengals, that, that's something that they always have to expect with him. So they'll give Jonah some help probably in the form of chips and whatnot, but the the Browns don't really hide their intentions. They're, they're going to rush four and they're going to win more times than not on the edge just because of that talent. So the Bengals just have to get rid of the ball quickly. They have to make sure that they're on time with their routes and they have to take the deep shots when they come because, you know, defensively for the Browns, like they still have talent, but it seems like they're underperforming. Denzel Ward, I don't think has played this bad in his entire NFL He's been another career. problem for the Bengals. Yeah, and I think, I mean, whoever is lined up against him, across from him, whether it be T or Jamar, like they remember what Denzel said uh, before the season about how this game is like circled. And, you know, like they gave, both those guys gave Denzel Ward credit on the podcast that they were on. Like, you know, he he likes he likes to talk because he's a competitor. And, you know, they always look forward to, to matching up with him because of that intensity. And then the Ward and the Browns fans, like they took it the wrong way or they just made it something that it wasn't. So they just created a problem out of nowhere. And I feel like Chase and Higgins kind of remember that. And, you know, I, I don't think either player has really ever really gone off against the Browns necessarily. So there's definite motivation in this game. Like they, they haven't beaten the Browns since 2019 at the end of that terrible season where, where they ended up finishing the worst team in the NFL. So the, despite the fact that they're clearly the better team, like there's definitely a hunger for this team to actually make a statement against this team. All right. Well, where, where do you see this one going prediction wise? And is this going to be another Tyler Boyd is an early key uh, game for the Bengals, or is it going to be Chase and Higgins more often early in the game? I mean, I know Chase had some plays obviously early in the game this last week, but I mean, it was first, first strikes. A lot of them were to, to Boyd there. Do you see that being the same thing this week? I, I, I just feel Personally, I feel that that's just something that's a it's easy momentum to gain with him. You know what I yeah. mean? It's it, because there's easy gains and whatnot. Yeah. And I think that's been kind of a byproduct of where their offense is right now because they're in shotgun so much and they're still running out of empty. He's become one of these first reads out of these quick passing concepts. And he's been just been the benef- the beneficiary of, of that because he's been able to get you know, easy looks, you know, right out of the gate and, and some of these under underneath routes and whatnot. So that should probably continue because again, the Browns defense is not playing very well right now. Denzel Ward, like we said, is struggling. Their safeties are struggling. Just the, their secondary as a whole has just given up so many big plays this year. And the Bengals offense with how they're playing right now, they, they should have similar levels of success. Um, I, I do think that um, I don't think the Browns are going to be completely blown out in this game. I, just because there is some type of a, of, of a thing just w- with them playing the Bengals. They always do seem to match up against their defensive front, and the Bengals quietly haven't been tremendous against the run as of late. And just in general, like their first half defense compared to their second half defense, it's a stark difference, man. And it's not like the Bengals are terrible in the first half defensively, but like if the Browns are in a neutral game script where they can just lean on Nick Chubb, I think they will have some some success. But over the course of 60 minutes, I do think the Bengals 
and their talent will will prevail. I think Burrow will play a good game against the struggling defense. Clowney and Garrett, they'll get their wins. I think Burrow will be sacked a couple of times, but I, I just see a solid offensive performance from the Bengals here, and the Browns just not having enough at quarterback to keep up. So I'm going to go with like a 24-13 victory for the Bengals. Interesting. Okay. Uh, important question here from Tim. Do the Bengals take the ball again if they win the coin toss? Do they start yes. with the ball? I think so, too. I think so, too. I think it's uh, – number one, it's been working for them. It gets them early momentum, and I think that that is uh, – this is also a game kind of like last week where you're going up against – a team that's down a little bit and you kind of feel like, Hey, if we're able to get some early points on them, uh, we can kind of keep them at bay a little bit. So I, I would, and of course, you know, you, you quiet the home crowd, you do the whole deal that um, comes with an early lead. So I would, I would do that. I, I don't know that I see the Browns only scoring 13. I guess there is a possibility that that happens up. I'll, I'll say, uh, what'd you say? 24, 13, John. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll say I'll say 26 26 17 I think okay. uh Bengals Bengals will beat Cleveland and it it's it would be a nice a nice win to kind of start build, continue to build upon um I don't know it's going to if it's going to be cruise control kind of like last week for the most part was but I, I do think that the Bengals you know uh do have a, a decent lead and, and end up, uh, you know, I think they're just playing better football than they were a month ago. So, um, you know, I, I tend to think that they will, they will win. Ah, Andrew Seiler, 45 to 13. Uh, we did have a super chat uh, from, of course, Mr. Whisper, Mr. Whisper, you need to send us your information because we got to send you something nice for all of this, the super chat donations you send us. And this will help out the Pollock family foundation. Gentlemen, let's, Talk stud pickups to Fele. Yes, the prospect AC had zero belief in. Yes, that was so me. Uh, is looking like a strong addition. Who should feel most threatened by how well Jay is playing? I, I guess it's not so much pertinent to the Cleveland Browns game specifically, but I guess it is because it sounds like no reader, no Tupo again. So, um, you know, he, he to Fele was not getting time with Tupo and reader in there um might he be getting more when they return is it you know are they going to mix and match him and zachary carter because they're doing different things i mean i don't know man uh i don't know if anyone's being threatened in terms of of their job but maybe he just takes a few more snaps from some of these guys when they do come back than originally designed yeah, I mean, they started the year with five, and Tufele was the fifth, and he just wasn't activated. And then they suffered these injuries, and he's just kind of taken on a role. So whenever Tupo comes back, I think Tupo just becomes the fifth at that point. If he's if Tufele is still playing at this level, like I don't think that you can take him off the field. Like th- those are quality twenty snaps that he's providing them, and every single one of them has been quality. I don't think he's had like a bad rep in the two mm-hmm. games that he's played. So I don't know how you take that guy out of the rotation and was Zach Carter, you know, he's making, you know, slow and steady strides as well. Like I I feel like unfortunately for Tupo because of his injuries kind of now on the outside looking and like, he'll still be on the team and and injuries will still happen. Like they they will still have to deal with guys going in and out of the lineup. So they're going to need every last body that they can get. But right now, if all guys were healthy, I think Tufele would be ahead of Tupo. Yeah, and I think also when those guys do come back, I think there might be now you're a little more comfortable because of what Tufele has shown you about not just slamming them with a ton of snaps right away when they come yeah. back, right? I mean, you feel a little bit better about like, hey, let's maybe ease this a little bit in. We could get Tufele in there more. I mean, obviously, if you're talking about where he has been playing and who he has been replacing, it would the logical choice if there were going to be snaps taken away from someone, it would be Tupo and not necessarily Reader. But I think it would be more of a hey, let's alleviate, you know, this high high snap volume right when you come back from injury, and that's probably where where the best mix is there. But he's been a nice nice addition and been playing pretty well. We're gonna drop the mic and get out of here. We we have been doing trivia. The past couple of weeks, um, I think since we're going a little long, we'll we'll do that next week. We do have some goodies rounding up and being sent out to the past couple of winners, and we'll continue to do that uh, in the weeks ahead here for others who participate. But, John, let's drop the mic and get out of here. What do you have for us, good sir? You know, I feel like I've been doing the show for four years, and I've never said uh, these specific statements. So it's time for me to start actioning 
like a host and a YouTuber. If you haven't already, uh, click the subscribe button. Join us as a member of uh, the Since Jungle Bengals Orange and Black Insider podcast. Uh, like, uh, click notifications. And you know what? Comment. I want to see comments. If you grew up and had a Bengals-related Halloween costume, please share it in the comments. I'm going to do all these things now because I feel like I've been lacking in, in my first four years of doing this. Look at you, Mr. Engagement. I love it. <laughs> I love it, Mr. Listener Engagement. And you know... I am uh, not the greatest at it, but hey, yes, please engage with us. We love talking with you. We love hearing about what, what you guys do uh, as as fans and whatnot. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't have all that much other than to say that I hope the Bengals kind of break this Halloween curse that they have. I, I Unfortunately, I remember the, the Dolphins game from, I can't even believe it's almost a decade ago now, when Geno Atkins tore his knee up in that game and... I think that was 2013, right? Yeah. Geo had that ridiculous run in that game. Um, and so I just, I hope the Bengals, and it's it's so appropriate that it's the two orange teams playing on Halloween night. Um, but uh, yeah, but, and of course, if you are a parent of a little one or you're hanging out with friends or family or whatever, doing the trick or treat thing, be safe, have fun. Um, but do share your costume. That's a good, that's a good call to action there. I love it. Do share the costumes, whether they are Bengals or not. My little guy, my, my oldest, uh, I was telling John before we took the air here, we had, uh, I, the propaganda machine is running strong in this house, John. I, I, it's dress up as a sports team or a sports person and, uh, sent, sent the guy to, in a Bengals Jersey and, uh, Bengals socks and all kinds of stuff. That's indoctrination, uh, not propaganda. I, mean, I guess, I guess that's the better word for it. Yeah. Um, and the poor kid, I mean, he, he may, he's on the, uh, he does flag football and he's on the Raiders. And Ooh. so he may, he may have wanted to, to wear the Raider. I don't know. He, I didn't really ask him. I just said, here's what you're wearing to school today. And, <laughs> and there, off you go, young one. Um, so at any rate, it was pretty cute, but, uh, yeah, if, if you do have some cool Bengals costumes this year, years past, Send him, send him on the YouTube channel. Get in touch with us at Bengals OBI on Twitter, and and we'll we'll retweet retweet them out. Um, it's good. That's good stuff. I love it. Uh, John, have a good week, my man, and uh, have some fun this weekend doing uh, the Halloween thing. We'll also have some fun with Trey Wingo coming up later this week as well. Yes, we will. Happy Halloween, everyone. Happy Halloween, and be safe. Have fun, like I said, and we will see you next time. Take care.